0: Genesis chapter 6, and we'll start reading in the fifth verse of Genesis 6. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in these last days that you stir in our hearts a fervor to preach, that in these last days you stir in our hearts a a fervor to stand upon your word, to to not not to waver, but to love you and to walk with you. It is the only important news message of today that Jesus saves, and whosoever finds themselves in the ark of Christ shall be saved from judgment. Lord, we give thanks to you for what you've done In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 6 paints for us a time upon the earth where the earth was great with wickedness. Even in verse number 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 6 paints for us the dangers of bad relationships. How many of us know this morning that bad relationships only bring about bad religion? For the children of uh, Israel, what happened when they found themselves in the book of Numbers, when they had, through the uh, prophesying or through the teaching of uh, Balaam, had found themselves affiliating with the children of Moab? And before long, what did we find with them in the children of Israel. They were deceived and worshiping false gods. They had left the Lord their God. They had left the Lord which had delivered them out of Israel. So it is today and so it is even in Genesis chapter 6. Bad relationships produce bad religion. Even in verse number 5 it goes on to say that God saw the wickedness of man was great In the earth. The last part of verse 5 is almost takes you back a step in that every imagination, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil. No, it was only evil continually. Even more, it says that. In this first part of Genesis chapter 6, that that the Lord saw the wickedness, He saw the sin in the world, and it grieved Him. A little note for our own selves. He sees sin, and sin grieves the Lord. This is a a quick reminder to those who believe, those who say that the Lord dwells within them, the ones who say that they're saved and that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. If you live in sin and it does not grieve you, you have entered into a conundrum. Because even here in Genesis chapter 6, we see that sin grieves the Lord. But in this chapter, it tells us that in the age of wickedness in which Noah lived, in the age of sin in which Noah lived, though it seemed that the entire world was going one way, uh, like a diamond uh, placed strategically in a coal mine, here was this man standing in the midst of a sinful nation. Noah stood when the whole world was going a different way. Many say, "Well, in order to stand in a in a, a wicked nation, what you must do is you must extract yourself from the environment around you." Uh, some say you must have you must seclude yourself in order to protect yourself, in order to build up the strength to stand. But even more, that is not what Noah did. Matter of fact, when you read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, and you read there about Noah in this wicked nation, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What I want you to see here starting in verse number 8, in which we'll be focusing most of our time this morning, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice, firstly, about this statement, Noah was a forgiven man. I want you to see three things about Noah this morning. He was forgiven, he was faithful, and he became fruitful for the Lord. But firstly, he was a forgiven man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice this morning, there is no other relationship with the Lord outside of child. Listen, Noah came from a long lineage of godly men. Take time this afternoon and read Genesis chapter 5. But though Noah came from this long lineage of godly men, Noah had to find God's grace himself. Salvation is a personal thing that we experience in our lives. Noah did not find grace in the sight of the Lord because his grandfather was Enoch. He didn't find grace in the sight of the Lord because his grandfather was Methuselah. It wasn't this long lineage that made him a just and perfect man. He found grace in the sight of the Lord through a personal relationship. And so it stands for us today. None of us will find grace in the sight of the Lord because our mother was faithful to church, because our father was faithful to church, because our grandfather was faithful to church. Listen, there is nothing about us finding grace in the sight of the Lord because we're faithful to come to the church, we're faithful to sit in the pews. Finding grace in the sight of the Lord is only through faith. And for those who have not found grace in the sight of the Lord, the condition is still imminent as Noah lifted before the people in his day. What is waiting for you is hell. But verse 8 tells us what kept Noah from the flood was that he found grace in the sight of the Lord. I love that whenever you read biblical history, That it seems that whenever you read that the world was at the most degenerate state. When you feel like humanity could not get any worse. And when you read through the Old Testament, you're saying, what now? But even in these what now situations, you find out that God is working. Example. When you read about the time of Babylon, when Israel was taken into captivity and they were called to worship, uh, when they was called to worship all these false gods, what do we find out? That even in that wicked time, even in that wicked generation, God was raising up a man named Daniel. When we read about the children of Israel being in Egypt, we find ourselves that there was this man who was being raised up in Pharaoh's house who God would work in, whom the Lord would work in. And when he would come to age, he would refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in the end of all of this, God would mightily use Moses to deliver Israel out of the hands of Egypt. Even more when you read about Ahab and Jezebel and their wicked leadership over israel we find lo and behold in this wicked age that god was working and he raised up this man named eliza to preach righteousness unto the people to condemn those who were leading god's people astray you see throughout history god has never failed in wicked times to produce a people to preach righteousness matter of fact you could summarize from Genesis chapter 6 that it is God's call and command in wicked times to be faithful preachers of his word. Even more, we see in Genesis chapter 6 that God would raise up this man named Noah. But the fact that the text says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, also states that there was a time in Noah's life when he was without grace. There was a time in Noah's life where he did not fully get a hold and understand what it meant to experience the unmerited favor of God. On Friday night, we, as I said, we was at the Friday night fellowship and the preacher, as he was preaching, began to speak about the worries in this nation in which we live. That we may be on the brinks of World War Three. Well, this statement stirred up in the fellowship our people who began to talk about preparing and began to talk about praying. And listen, I'm not discrediting any of those things, but lest we forget in these last days, lest we forget at a time in which the world could come to an end that the most important priority in our lives is to preach God's word. It is said that a church that does not evangelize will soon fossilize. And I get that at times that we believe in our hearts and some people take a security blanket, so to say, and cover it over themselves and the fact that we support missionaries overseas and that we think in our minds, since we give to missions, it kind of is uh, giving to the fact that we're preaching the gospel, we're promoting the gospel, we're trying to reach the world with, with the gospel. And while that is true, but we must understand that the church, the church house, the, the light that shines the furthest is always brightest at home. So we may say to ourselves, when it comes to the mind of missions, that we're getting the gospel to all around this world, but what are you doing at home base? Noah lived in the age in which he lived. He lived in the location in which he lived. He faced the generation in which he faced, surrounded all around him. And this is what we face each and every day. We face this wicked generation. We face people who have no desire to see or hear the truths of God's word. Yet it doesn't neglect the fact or negate the fact that we should be preaching God's word. By the way, bad news in the Bible has always produced the best preaching. (laughs) It was always bad news that seemed to bring about revival. If we could have the Ninevites here, they would testify to such a thing. It was the bad news that God was going to bring judgment that brought great news that God was allowing them an opportunity of grace before judgment. The other day when I was leaving the house, actually it was yesterday, I was trying to get down here. And I have found myself frustrated as I searched the house, just trying to find my keys to get here I had finally become so disgruntled that I started to walk out the door said I'll just walk to church and as I walked out the door I reached my hand in my pocket and lo and behold there was the keys but the reason that I was searching for the keys is because I had a desire to find something I was looking for something look what our text says but noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord not only does it say that there was a time in Noah's life that he had not experienced the unmerited favor of God that he had not experienced God's grace but it also states that there was a time in Noah's life in which he was searching for grace He was looking for the answer. In order to find something, you have to first be looking for it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so it is the sweet condition, even in our day and age, and even in Noah's day and age. There are people who are looking for sweet relief. There are people who are looking for a way to have the burden be lifted in their life. But Noah says under his testimony, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was to say that he didn't find grace in a bottle. It is to say that Noah didn't find grace in the religions of that day. It is even more to discredit that even in this day, that grace is not found in the religions of today. Grace is not found in Muhammad. Grace is not found in the Dalai Lama. But grace is only found in unmerited favor from God. So we see even more that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Let me say one thing this morning that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. All of history has come along. All these different religions invented and populated and propagated, and you know what? Still, grace is only found in the Lord. So what made Noah this preacher? of righteousness. What made him a preacher of righteousness was not only because he found grace. The reason that we find grace, the reason that God saves us should spur us on to be preachers of his word. Yes, this is true, but even more what moved him, what, what spurred him on be, was because he had received a divine declaration from the Lord. What moved Noah was that he had received word from God about what was yet to come for his generation. What was the word? Look at verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. (laughs) Hear me. Noah labored hard. Noah preached hard because it had been made clear to him that God's judgment was coming. It had been made clear to Noah what God's future plan was for the world in which he lived, and it moved him. Hear me? It moved him. Not even to preach this, be this preacher of righteousness, but it moved him to become fruitful to build this ark. By the way, this is not just an Old Testament truth. Listen, the same thing that moved noah in the old testament is the same thing which should move us in the new testament the same thing that moved noah to be a preacher of righteousness is the same thing that should move us to be a preacher of righteousness in matthew chapter 4 remember there when the lord was speaking he said but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the days that Noah entered in the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said, That which moved Noah... This declaration, this revealing that what God was going to do to his generation moved Noah to be a preacher of righteousness, yet even in the generation in which we live. In these last days, God has revealed unto us what this world is yet to experience. He has revealed to us that it's not going to continue on this way. He has revealed to us that divine judgment is coming to be poured out upon the earth. And in these last days, it's spurred in our hearts more than ever to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In these last days, unto his children, his word and his plan for coming judgment has been revealed. As it, were, as it was in the days of Noah, whoever was in the ark did not face judgment. But whoever was not in the ark faced judgment. And in these last days, we have this new ark. And it is to say that whoever is in Jesus Christ will not face judgment, but whosoever is outside of the ark, faith in Jesus Christ will face eternal judgment. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from judgment, saved from sin, saved from the wrath that is yet to come. But let me add this. He, he was not only a forgiven man, but he was a faithful man. Man, look at verse number nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. What our text says here is that Noah was no different than any other son of Adam. If the grace of God not had, had not restrained him, we would also read of Noah, that he and his own thoughts and minds of his heart were only evil continually. But you see the contrast between verses five and, or excuse me, verses eight and verse nine, that these are the generations of Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. You see, grace changes you. Grace makes something new in us. When when Noah experienced the unmerited favor of God, it changed the way in which he walked. Verse 9 says it all clear. There's no vagueness to this at all. There's no questionable thought process. And us at all about this, when God does something in you, it changes everything about you. It causes much question when someone says that they have experienced the unmerited favor of God, yet they still talk the same way. Why I experience the unmerited favor of God, yet they still walk the same way. Grace changes you, it changed Noah, and it changes us also. Yet we notice here that these are the generations of Noah. He was a just man and perfect in his generations. Meaning this was the continual path in which Noah was on. And so it is in our life too. We call this in theology proper the path of sanctification, sanctification. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. It means that we're not just saved and it stops. It means that we continue this process. When he starts the process, we continue to walk with him until the very end. Noah was forgiven. And from that day forward, verse 9 says, he walked with God. He behaved justly. He lived righteously. Grace takes over the house, so to say. But notice also the sequence of all of this. I could not help but capture this last night. The sequence of all of this. There was coming judgment for the people in Noah's day. There was coming judgment. God had made it clear. There was common judgment, but God sent grace first. We read in this time, in this text, that God was preparing to pour out judgment, yet grace uh, arrives first. Noah found grace. Hear me. God extended grace to these people before he poured out judgment. Look at verse number three. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Listen, God's judgment was preparing to pour out in the days of Noah. But God provided two things, both grace and time to repent of their sins prior to judgment ever being poured out. It reminds me of today in which we live as we go out and preach the gospel today. How many times have we encountered people who are dissatisfied with the thought process that God is going to bring judgment? They're dissatisfied that one day they're going to have to stand before them. Yet, because of the hardness of their own heart, they totally do away with the fact that grace is available now. God always sends grace before judgment because God is a loving, merciful God. When, that's what he says when he introduces himself to Moses and Exodus. He says, I am a loving God. I, I am a God who forgives. I am, the, I am basically the God of all pardons. That's what he tells them about himself. Yet the judgment that is experienced, they say, what kind of God would judge or what kind of God would flood the entire the earth to kill off wicked people. But yet he gave them 120 years. How many of us could testify in our own lives? When we're done with something, we're done. When we're fed up with something, we're fed up with it. We want to be away from it. Get it out of our face. Get it out of my... I don't even want to look at this no more. But look how God is not like us. 120 years God put in place a preacher of righteousness, to call people back to him before this divine judgment came upon the earth. Even more, these people, they even in our generation, they totally neglect the fact that God's grace, that God is merciful, that God is loving. Their hearts are hardened to this great news. But they mock our truth just like they mocked Noah's truth. The ark has, so to say, been completely completed for us there on Calvary's hill where Christ suffered, bled, and died and victoriously rose again on the third day. This is the message of grace that God has offered to all of us on this earth. Repent, believe, have faith, get in the ark, because when the door is shut, judgment will certainly come. Verse 9 says that he was uh, not only a faithful man, but he was a just man. He was a perfect man. You know what this means? You know what this means? It means that Noah was a man who was following God's law. He was a man who was following God's rules. He he was a man who was focused on living for the Lord. He was just and righteous before the Lord. And when it says that he's perfect, it means that Noah was striving to live for the Lord in every facet of his life. And he strived to be this way in the generations in which he lived. Think about how the world has affected us each and every day think about the conversations that we have to hear at the grocery store or the things we see on tv and all the things around us that plague us i mean oftentimes if we're honest with ourselves we try to uh, draw in the people who we work with and accuse them of the reasons that we're not a good testimony at work or why we're not as fruitful as we want to be, so to say, for the Lord. But even more, the Bible says here about Noah, in this age of wickedness, now imagine this, when everyone around you The only one who had grace was Noah and his family were the only ones that entered into the ark. Yet everyone else around him, their thoughts were only evil continually. Yet Noah remained uninfluenced, unaffected, and had no desire to follow after the world. What character is this? What character is this? In Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. My favorite portion of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 is, is where he says, by the which he condemned the world. In, it, in truth, it really does. By the way in which Noah moved, in the way in which Noah behaved, in the way in which Noah conducted himself, it not only condemned the lost, but it condemned saved people alike. I mean, for us today, it condemned saved people alike. How so? But because by Noah living this godly life in such a wicked age, it stood as a testament that there is something that he disagrees with by the way you live. It is to say that he believes there's something wrong in, in which the way others were living, it is to preach the gospel by actions. I think for each and every one of us, if we don't have the boldness or the confidence to utter the words, to preach the everlasting gospel, our actions should always be preaching the gospel. And when people go down a road and start to tell jokes that you shouldn't be involved in, they should know there's something different about you by you going the other way. And when people go down a path that you know is going to end in a manner where God is not going to be glorified, when people begin to use our Lord's name slanderously, we should be like the, the, the uh, we should take the advice of the angels that gave God. Oh, get you out of this place. We've got to flee these conversations by our actions. The world should know that there's something different about us. Listen, the world is not going to praise you for being different. The world is not going to praise you for preaching the gospel. We are called to preach the gospel in love. Yet there is also something wholeheartedly condemning about the gospel. And that's why we don't preach it with strife and and all of these other things, but in a loving manner because at the first hearing, it's hard to understand that God is going to pour out judgment. But in reality, what we're trying to say is judgment is coming, but you are in the age of grace. Job chapter 12 and verse 4 says this, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. You know what that means? It means the world isn't going to praise us. Job knew something. Noah knew something. The Lord told us something in the New Testament. It has always been the same case throughout all of history. Those who have experienced the unmerited favor of God and who walk with God day in and day out should expect ridicule. We should expect rejection. We should expect the world to not love us, to not praise us. We should expect Reproach. But even though, uh, even though that was what happened, Noah still walked with God. Notice verse 11 through 13. The earth, was, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God looked upon the condition of this earth. He looked upon the wickedness of this land. He looked upon a man who searched him, and found grace, the only place grace can be found, in the Lord. Noah found grace on the side of the Lord. But God revealed to Noah the judgment that was yet to come. And then when you start reading in verse number 14, God starts giving Noah the preparations to build the ark. It is almost to say that when we know judgment that is to come, It's like the Lord is telling us, get to work. We know the judgment that is yet to come upon this nation. And in the, so to say, the water droplets are are beginning to fall. We, so to say, see the judgment that is yet to come, that is soon to come upon this nation. There's coming a day when, I don't know, it could be this afternoon. I wish we all believed it was. In the very next 10 minutes, there'll probably be a revival that broke out in this nation because of all the people we would call and desperately beg to get to the cross. But what I wanted to bring out this morning is the responsibility and the drive that it should put in each and every one of us when we fully grasp that God's judgment will soon be poured out upon this earth. Soon. When, I don't know. Soon. He doesn't give us that time. He just gives us the command to go and preach. But yet, the question I have for each and every one of us, the Bible says in Hebrews that when Noah heard these things, it caused him to move with fear. and caused Noah to move and get to work. So, the question and the challenge for each and every one of our hearts is if you wholeheartedly believe that this is the judgment that is yet to come, and yet you aren't moved with fear to get others to Christ, there's something wrong. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. You probably, maybe, you know, I don't know. You may be the greatest soul winner in the church. But there's something wrong in a heart that's not moved with fear, knowing that a precious Savior and a time of grace for this world is running out and we're not moving. May we all be spurred to search our hearts daily, to ask the Lord to pour in our hearts the fervor to have him enlighten our eyes and give us the eyes of understanding in his word, to give us the, the boldness to preach, as Paul begged for in Ephesians chapter 6, his word in this lost and dying world. So you are going to get some doors slammed on you. That's what we expect. But it's better than being accountable in the end, that we knew what it took to get inside the ark, and we didn't tell. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I, as always, thank you for every opportunity I get to preach your word, to to herald your truth, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, Lord, and that you'll make us a church, Lord, that's on fire for you. Make us a church that's bold with your message, Lord. Lord, we praise you and thank you for those who were bold with your message to us. Oh, what if they would have spared the details to us? What if the what if people would not have came and knocked on our door? What if they would not have sought us to, to give us the gospel? What if we was in that condition and someone did not have a heart burden for us? Lord, thank you for burdening people's heart for the gospel. Lord, our prayer request today is that you burden each and every one of our hearts for this lost and dying world. Lord, so many thank yous and praises we have this week that we've experienced even in this church. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work here, bless here, and and help us as we serve you to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.